Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here with you this morning. If I haven't met you in person yet, my name's Natalie. I'm the Associate Vicar. Um, Let's uh, just gather before the scripture. But as we do, and as I open in prayer, um, let's also pray for David. He's um, at New Hope this morning with our sister congregation there. And we don't often think about them when we gather here, but um, they're part of our church community. So um, let's pray for them too. Lord Jesus, be with us as we consider your word. May it bring light and life to our souls and engage us more fully with the depth of your love and grace to us, both here and at New Hope. Help us see more of what you have revealed by your resurrection, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're on a sermon series. If you went with us last week, um, we considered the resurrection as truth, but truth seen in three different ways. Truth through scripture, through eyewitness evidence, and finally, the truth of the gospel and resurrection with its power to change an unbeliever turned into an early church leader. And earlier this week, um, some of you might know a chap called Philip Giddings. He's a longtime member of Greyfriars, and um, he and I were just chatting as you do in the atrium. He was serving on the bookshop. I was wandering through doing something. I can't remember what. Um, And we were chatting about this particular passage that I'm preaching to you this morning. And he said, sometimes you just get those passages or those sermon series where you say it again and say it again and say it again. And that's a bit what's happening here in Corinthians. But each section of this beautiful passage has a different emphasis. Um, Last week, Paul used the term in vain a number of times, kind of just reminding ourselves that we need to mind the risks of not giving the full importance to Jesus dying and raising from the dead. This week, in verse 14, please do keep your Bibles open if you want to, we're reminded that preaching is useless, and so is your faith, without Jesus' resurrection. So, please pray Jesus' resurrection over my words this morning. Yet, in our scripture today, Paul extends and deepens his argument about the vital importance of Jesus' resurrection. If we could have the next slide, please. It's like he's going on a deep dive. And as I pondered the similarity and differences between these two parts of the passage, I recalled a quote that I heard some years back from someone who's a churchgoer, who I know, but who finds Easter the most difficult of Sundays. And they said this, because you can't escape the idea of Jesus' resurrection on that Sunday, and I just can't make myself believe it. 
They found Easter difficult because you just can't escape the idea of Jesus' resurrection on that particular Sunday, and I can't make myself believe it. Now, I don't think God would want to force or shoehorn us into doing anything that's not within where we've got to. I think God encourages us to ask questions and to expand our faith in that way. But I believe that God loves us into belonging and believing and finding our faith as part of a church community like we are here. But that person that I quoted had no confidence in the resurrection. And I think if Paul was here and was speaking to that person, he'd reply and say, don't worry, you don't need your own confidence. You need Godfidence in the resurrection of Jesus. You don't need your own confidence. You need Godfidence in the resurrection. Did you see what I did there? It's a bit of play on words, sorry. Paul is responding to some challenges of false teachers. So he moves from explaining the centrality of the resurrection to expanding and deepening what it means for us in order that we might have that appropriate Godfidence, not our own built, manufactured confidence made in our own strength, but true confidence from God in what the resurrection's about. So what is the false teaching that Paul is trying to correct? In verse 12, we read, some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead. Paul is blunt about these false teachers' view of reality. In verse 16, we read, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ cannot be raised either. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus Christ has not been raised, we read in verse 13. Paul is saying what is true about the resurrection, but he's not trying at this point in our passage, because it's of lesser concern to him at this point, he's not trying to point out what we believe to be true. That's not what he's trying to correct. He's trying to say what is true, He's not asking you or I what I believe to be true. He's saying, just concentrate on what is true. And the reason behind that, I suspect, is because sometimes in our world, we present our argument about the resurrection this way. Without resurrection, your theology, your thinking, and your words about God all just collapse Paul's argument is that without resurrection, everything collapses. Our lives, our understanding of baptism, creation, literally everything caves in on itself without the resurrection. He's concerned right at the deepest center of the law, the prophet, the gospel is the love of resurrection right at the deepest center of the law, the prophets, the gospel, is the love of resurrection. And why does this matter so much to Paul? Well, he's blunt and frank, as Paul is often blunt and frank. He says this, your proclamation has been in vain. Your faith has been in vain. That's verse 14. Your faith is futile. 
You are still in your sins. That's in verse 17. Everyone who has died in Christ has perished. That's verse 18. He's not going subtle, is he? He's not really trying the gentle, nurturing way. He's just putting it out there. If there's something wrong with how we understand the resurrection, everything collapses. Or we become dependent on building our own confidence. And we make our own stories about what the resurrection really is all about. And to correct this false teaching, Paul goes on to outline the correct ordering of resurrection. And that some of this we see in verse 22, and I'll read it for you. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who will belong to him. And the argument goes on like this. Verse 29, Paul asks of these false teachers, and in essence of us today, if you don't get resurrection, what's the point of baptism? If you don't get resurrection, what is the point of baptism? If there's no such thing as resurrection, because the symbolism of baptism implies a resurrection yet to happen... Why be buried symbolically with Jesus under the water? So literally, when we stand here, in where these tiles are here, we put somebody under the water and we bring them up. And it's almost like we are reminding ourselves that Jesus has died and we too die. And Jesus is risen and therefore we are risen. We become a corpse, a dead body under the water with Jesus. And if we didn't believe in resurrection, we wouldn't believe there was anything to hope for after that point. We might as well stay under the water. Jesus has risen and has established the possibility for us to rise again too. If you want to turn to Romans 6 verse 5... It puts it this way, Romans 6, verse 5. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this, like his. So why is Paul making such a point about the symbolism of baptism? And why is it so important for Paul to take us deeper in our resurrection understanding. I think it's because the impact it has of false teaching or to take the resurrection in vain. Paul is really clear in our reading what that looks like. You can read it with me in verses um, 32 and 33. Paul says, if you don't care about resurrection, this is what life looks like. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The impact of that false teaching and the influence of those false teachers on this particular community, Paul says, is really stark. And sometimes 
one of the things that they were getting wrong in their thoughts was thinking that they had been raised now, that the second coming resurrection life was already part of who they were. Now, yes, I agree. I would love Jesus to come again right now and for us all to experience that second resurrection love of life. You know, all that will come through that, we'd have resurrection bodies, whatever that looks like, I have no idea. Um, we'd have resurrection healing. Some of us might really want that for some people now. Uh, resurrection living right now, always in the presence of God and as his love, and we are all perfected. Who wouldn't want a bit of that right now? The problem is it isn't right now. And that was what Paul was trying to correct. Paul is affirming that whilst we may be baptized now and experience some of the gifts that God's Holy Spirit brings about now, there are proper stages to how salvation works. There's a timeline almost to how salvation works, even if we don't know exactly what dates that will happen. So no, I'm not going to predict the second coming because that would be a bit dodgy. Um, but you and I together, we live between Christ's resurrection from the dead and his second coming. So we are the now and not yet people of faith. Paul's orders and stages come and they're marked out and mapped out in verses 20 to 28. First comes Jesus' resurrection. Verse 20, we read, Christ has being raised from the dead. And the ultimate stage of Christian resurrection belongs to another point in time. And this point that's to come is gloriously beautiful. Those who have died, in other translations, it's sometimes written as fallen asleep. So if you're looking in a different Bible of a different translation, it might say fall asleep in verses 18 and 20. They are those of faith who physically died before the second coming. And they use that word asleep in some translation because it's making a point. It's making a point about our confidence in God and in the resurrection yet to come. It's showing our Godfidence. We are fully assured of resurrection to come. Then in verse 24, we're told the end comes. And it's sometimes it's translated as then come the rest, i.e. those who are still alive. When Jesus comes a second time, all those still alive and those of faith get to witness the victory of Christ and God. When all other distractions, rules, and authorities are put under their feet. And also in due time, we're told in verses 25 and 26, comes the death of death, for he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That last enemy being destroyed, that is our beautiful hope, the correct place for us to put Godfidence, that we live life as we're told in verse 22, for as all die in Adam so all will be made alive in Christ. As our fallen humanity dies, 
we will be made alive in our Saviour, Jesus. So what impact should all this talk of resurrection have for us today? I'd like to suggest we shouldn't waffle when it comes to talking about resurrection. Don't mince your words. Don't be gentle. Be bold about our conviction about Christ's resurrection and about our own resurrection yet to come. Because false teachers and false words about resurrection have an impact. The impact that that has is it speaks death where we should be speaking life. It speaks death where we should be speaking hope. Paul invites us not to be deceived or allowed false words about resurrection to deceive others. So stand firm in your confidence. Find a space this day, Monday, Tuesday, on the bank holiday when you're with your friends, on Tuesday when you're back in the workplace or college or wherever you are. Find a day this week and an opportunity to speak life, to preach life and to live life fully. Find an opportunity because of the beauty and hope of the resurrection to speak life, to preach life and to live life. Because we know the life we share with Jesus is a forever life of love and hope. Now, I'm sure many of us, many people around might have family that they are mourning. We might have family that we are mourning and the impact on it is very in the moment now. It's very personal, very hard. We might have traveled a little way through our grief journey and we might be finding it slightly simpler. We might have lost people through tragic accident. We might have lost those who have died after long and faithful lives. But because of the resurrection, we should be able to say something different from that person who I quoted from Easter morning earlier. We should be able to say something along the lines of this. Easter, because of the resurrection, means so much more. Without the resurrection, I would have no hope of seeing my child, my sibling, my parent, my grandparent, my great-grandparent, my niece, my godchild. You know, Easter means so much more with the resurrection because it brings hope. Even in the face of death, it brings hope. With resurrection, we are people of hope, which is why in each day we should find space to speak life to preach life, and to live life fully. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and just play gently in the background. And I'm going to give us a minute just to reflect on what that life of hope looks like. What speaking about death and resurrection means in our hearts. I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, in the peace and the space, 
in the silence and in the glory. Help us to be an Easter people every day of the year. To be people who glory in your resurrection power. Help us to be people who are ready to speak peace. To speak hope. To live in hope. And to live in love. Would your Holy Spirit change our industry in creating our personal confidence with the glory of your gospel power? Let's just let the musicians pray, play for a minute and let's just continue to wait on the presence of God. He brings hope and he brings love. He brings life through his resurrection. That should be something beautiful in our hearts, but sometimes we need to let it get from our heads to our hearts. Let's just wait and see how he might do that in our lives. lost our confidence in you would you re-establish our confidence in your resurrection would you reignite our hearts with your love